that age-old thing of do we develop some software or do we use something off the shelf? Well, now software development's in exactly that same boat. We develop this or do we we'd go to someone that specialises in that piece and when it comes to security, mm. I'd definitely lean in the direction of use the best components from, from the best companies. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Hey folks, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain. Uh, great to be back again for another New Zealand Tech Podcast. And uh, today we have Jason Sung. How are you, Jason? Oh, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, it's Justin. Justin. Uh, oh, sheesh. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. Sorry, Justin. That's all right. Good to be here. Great to have you here. Your first time on the show. Yeah. Um Auth Signal is your firm, and we talked about you in the in the news some months ago. Yeah. Uh, possibly when you you raised a little bit of VC yeah. uh, funding for for uh, Auth Signal, your startup. Yeah. Maybe just sort of a mini intro on where you fit into this big wide world of tech. Yeah. No. No problems. And thanks for covering us uh, about seven months ago uh, now. We're we're all online these days, and. Uh, you know, especially after COVID, everything that we do seems to be on an app or on online. And where OffSignal fits in is we give tools for platforms that are offering digital services to make all their services secure for you. We start, we're hearing breaches and people getting scammed and money coming out of bank accounts. We're here to change all that and stop all that from happening it's the best time to start a company like this when everyone's going online. Uh, and it's uh, exciting to do this from New Zealand because we haven't really seen a lot of businesses like this come out of New Zealand. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's really exciting, really encouraging. So looking forward to delving in more and, and hearing a bit more of the Auth Signal uh, story during the show. But to start up, there's, there's lots going on in the news and some of it's definitely New Zealand related. We've got Twitter in the news there again. We, we try to ignore them, but... Um, Mr. Musk is, uh, is, is continuing to uh, capture attention, put it that way. Um, so we'll dive into that. Uh, some interesting uh, news from Meta around how they're looking to uh, protect teens. We've got some fascinating uh, news there out of the US around a digital dollar uh, pilot. Uh, Want to talk a little bit about what Apple are turning on for the iPhone in terms of satellite uh, coverage and then a little bit on the Google Google front as well, amongst other things. Uh, but closer to home, let's, let's start by talking about our connectivity. So mm. we've had the, the news through of the completion of the UFB2 rollout and I was at an event um, last week in, in, Wellings, in Wellington uh, around that uh, which Chorus had put on. What that, that completion uh, means for New Zealanders is we're now at a point where it's 87% of the population have that opportunity to have fibre uh, to, their, to their home. Wow. So fibre's you know, available to order and and you know, of course, uh, you know we've we've seen a, a, a higher and higher percentage of New Zealanders that have uh, that have moved to fibre. Although, of course, we've got uh, that competition as well in place from uh, from four G and five G uh, connectivity, which is is good, keeps everybody uh, honest. You could you could say, uh, but I thought, yeah, really 
really pleasing that we've uh, that we've met, reached that milestone. And some listeners may recall the the original uh, UFB program was designed to hit seventy five percent of the population. Uh, so that was uh, that was the the target. And um, you know what we saw was government put more money in. And uh, and you know really get to a, a much much bigger percentage of the population. I suppose you could look at it and sort of say from that initial seventy five percent, you know they've then taken fifty percent or a bit over fifty percent of those that are remaining uh, onto fibre, which I th- you know I think initially just that initial investment was was such a big deal. Uh, no one was really sure whether they would extend it. Um, yeah. The interesting thing now we did talk a little bit about this last week was uh, the push to maybe go further with fibre, right? And so that's uh, that's what we'll delve into in, in December. Uh, we've got uh, we've got Chorus coming on to NZ Tech Podcast and we get to hear some of their their perspectives and and delve into what's happening in some other parts of the the world and how that plays out. Um, but I was catching up with somebody yesterday. He lives um, in a rural rural location, and his his point to me was, Paul, why why shouldn't we have fibre to every single home in New Zealand? We you know, we have copper uh, connectivity for phones. That was something that was you know done a long time ago, and you know, virtually every you know virtually every location in the country ended up with copper connectivity now. Of course, when you put yourselves in the in, in the shoe of the the consumer that lives in that house, totally get why you would want the fibre. Uh, on the flip side, getting fibre to a home is a lot more expensive than a bit of copper wire, mm. isn't it? So that's the that's the, that's the challenge on that front. And so so we've got that aspect that's going on, and then what tie, ties in with it is that the government have made uh, made their announcement. Uh, late last week, uh, from um, Minister um, Clark, Honourable Dr. David Clark, um, that they and uh, in, in the budget they put aside uh, sixty million dollars um, in the last budget for rural connect rural connectivity package, but fifteen million of that was allocated towards funding what they call the remote user scheme. Uh, and you and I, uh, Justin, were, were looking at uh, before the show started a little um, graphic that's up on the Crown infrastructure website around the uh, remote users scheme. And this actually is, yeah, it's a good good way of sort of, um, I guess, you know, in a pictorial way showing how how people are, are connected. And so the middle uh, ring in their uh, view of things, UFB, which covers 412 cities and, and towns, 1.8 million households and businesses. Um, and, you know, now we're, we're at that uh, about 87% of the population. Then they talk about the urban fringe, rural capacity upgrades, and... Uh, then the rural broadband program, and they're saying up to that point, UFB, urban fringe and rural capacity upgrades in the rural broadband uh, program, uh, say after these three programs are complete, 99.8% of the population will be able to access a broadband service. 
So this new remote user scheme, the way I'm reading it here anyway, is talking about the last 0.2% and, and giving connectivity. So, yeah, we've really come a long, you know, a long way uh, as a country. Yeah. Uh, obviously, there's, uh, there's Starlink, which was something that, uh, <laughs> you know, wasn't available previously. Any, you know, prior sort of satellite internet was, was always pretty, pretty average. Yeah, I think credit is, uh, you know, due to the government here. Uh, you know, we like to bash government uh, for other things, but, man, have they done the, the fibre rollout pretty well. Uh, I think uh, even friends and folks across the ditch are still complaining in their cities of their NBN rollout. Um, so it's pretty <laughs> yeah. amazing that we've done that in New Zealand, yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it'll, I'm kind of curious as to how this whole thing will, you know, will look and, and exactly you know, how that investment goes and yeah, really can can chorus and, and others sort of um, you know make a make a good um, argument for there needing to be fiber going further because mm. obviously that's the gold standard that's why we've got it for you know 87 percent of households but you know um, if, if I had to if I had to guess I would imagine for us to Hit that last thirteen percent, it would probably cost maybe more than what it cost to do the initial eighty-seven yeah. percent, right? Uh, so that's the that's the you know that's the flip side on these on these things. Mm. Um, we are seeing you know countries now who are who are committing to a hundred percent coverage, wow. and uh, I saw. And, and it does vary in terms of how they deliver that. Some of them are more like what we have in New Zealand where the, you know, there's, a, there's a, a whole chunk of fibre but then there are other bits and pieces sort of filling in. I saw news around fibre in Spain and they are talking around the bits I read anyway was suggesting 100% fibre coverage around mm. 2025. Ireland are, are committing to, to very close to 100%. Yeah. Uh, so it's very interesting. Of course, our topology as a country, I mean, I think what we've achieved to date is actually pretty incredible considering the land mass and, you know, the other topological realities to to New Zealand that we've done, you know, we've done very well. But, yeah, should we forget the last 13%? Yeah, and I think it'll be a great conversation with... Uh uh, CEO of Chorus when it comes in to understand the definitions, you know this this fiber to the is is the definitions fiber to the home or fiber to the node or the last mile. Uh, I think I think there's probably a little bit of give potentially, uh, but it'll be good to to hear from uh, Chorus themselves. Yeah, what what's been your experience? Because yeah, you were talk, before we, before the show we were we were chatting around. Uh, yeah, you you weren't in the in the in the city over the over the weekend. Yeah, um, but you were able to get some pretty good connectivity. Yeah, look, I, I'm I'm from Christchurch and I lived rurally, rurally or semi rurally, and uh, just out in Lincoln. Um, and I've seen how um, you know as townies we don't appreciate or can't empathise with how the lack of connectivity or good connectivity really impacts people. Uh, from paying the bills to receiving important text messages. Uh, but my story was I watched the All Blacks from a rural part of New Zealand uh, with no problems. And that was all through Starlink. So, that, you know, 
not not a not a paid advertisement here for Elon, but uh, it's amazing how far we've come from uh, being able to just stream live sport from our phones uh, back in back in the back blocks of Rotorua there. So yeah, no, it's brilliant. Yes, I mean uh, Starlink is something of a phenomenon, really, and when fiber and so on started getting roll, rolled out. Yeah, I think a lot of the, the questions that came back were can't we just do this over mobile? And mobile's got a whole lot, you know, a whole lot better. And of course, you know, some some folks are, are operating over over mobile connections. Uh, and then, you know, Starlink as well, there's obviously different price points, there are different challenges, uh, you know, with with these technologies. Um, but yeah, certainly we we had nothing before. Uh, we had very poor options. Um, you know, Starlink has has been has been, uh, you know, I think really really exciting for yeah. uh, for people. Interesting. I was chatting to a friend yesterday, and he was telling me about in his location in Waimalku, um, out out outside of. Uh, I think he was maybe within a couple of hundred meters of uh, fiber access, um, but just sort of far enough away not to be able to get it. And so basically, yeah, his option is a sort of mobile broadband, which he was saying the speed seemed to really sort of come down, mm. you know, 22 megabits a second or, or so. Uh, and as soon as you get a bunch of people trying to share that uh, in a home, that, that becomes quite a, quite a challenge. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to, to see what, you know, what the next moves are for, for the government. You, could, you know, you could say that... This stuff's just going to keep going, but if you put fibre out everywhere, then yes, you'll need upgrades and you know the equipment and so on. But that actual physical infrastructure that we now have to to eighty seven percent of the population, you know, that is a really really good long term investment, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's, it's just yeah. it's a fundamental human rights in twenty twenty two. Yeah, it sort of feels like it, doesn't it? It's I don't like know. Water. I don't know how do you, how do you yeah how do you define what is a what is a human right? Because we got on pretty well without internet when I was growing up, <laughs> um, but I can't quite imagine it for too long these days. I've got to say. So, yeah. All right. Other uh, other topics. Uh, heard Vodafone uh, TV have pushed back their uh, switch off there as we wait for uh, Sky to bring their new boxes through. That seems to sort of Keep keep lagging. Uh, so I hope Sky managed to um, uh, get that get that sorted shortly. Supply chain and varying other sort of you know challenges in in the mix there. It might be time to um, to get um, uh, Sophie Maloney uh, back on uh, back on the show. A uh, little bit of an update or from from someone at uh, at Sky. Um, you know I think certainly Sky seems to be in a in a better position now than when we first sort of started talking mm. about them a few years ago. Um, actually, I don't know when we first started talking about them. We, we probably threw mud at them for quite a long period of time, but um, yeah, I think they're they're they're, they're definitely a you know a different operation these days. Um, but you know, there's 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 still a risk that we end up uh, in a country that you know doesn't have a provider uh, like Sky. Uh, you know, if they if they end up setting the market to to lo- global kind of streaming giants, mm. uh, so uh, it's going to be um, certainly something I you know I hope that uh, 
that they're very successful with their, their next moves, their set-top boxes and internet-based options. Yeah, I think they've done a good job to reinvent how they deliver their, their services. I mean, I was watching the All Blacks off my, my app in the phone and um, I didn't have to have a set-top box. Uh, so I think, you know, what they're doing is obviously clearly, uh, you know, on the right track here with uh, what they call over-the-top apps that you can install on your TV or phone. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, and look, full respect to, um, you know, Spark with Spark Sport for, you know, they, yeah. they, they helped uh, sort of, you know, move, move us forward and to having, having to stream and sort of get, get used to that. Um, certainly seems to be a bit of sort of debate around, um, you know, what that, what that future looks like. Have we, have we got enough room in New Zealand for, for two players or do we end up going back to a, a more sort of um, you know, single-player model? I don't know whether you call it monopolistic. Um, you know, I, I would hope that there will always be kind of two options and that isn't option A, pay, and option B, sort of, you know, pirate. Uh, as far as content's concerned, um, but there is there you know I think now with you know a, a, a few years under the a bridge of sort of you know streaming sport and, and content, uh, you know I can see why some some people uh, are frustrated about having to pay sort of two uh, two players and and what that actually does in terms of the local cost as well when they're they're you know bidding against each other right mm. so. Um, yeah, I think I think we we the whole story isn't uh, isn't fully complete on that front yet. That's for sure. Um, now, I wanted to delve into um, going to New Zealand within New Zealand. Um, we ha- heard about Air New Zealand, uh, you know, potentially moving away from boarding passes as far as the the. Uh, Los Angeles is concerned and uh, moved to effectively a, a sort of biometric uh, type model in, in, um, in the US. And those that have sort of, tra- you know, travelled to, to the US uh, you know, over the years, you know, many will be used to already doing a, you know, a thumbprint and fingerprint scans and, and, uh, and so on. And, and now we're hearing about what is maybe the, the next... Uh, flavor of sort of biometric use within within the airport environment. What's your pick on this? You're a big big you know thinker on on privacy matters and cyber security. How do you think this all fits together? Is this a, a good track to go down? Do we need to be you know really cautious? How could it play out? Well, I think you know based on the the news article and the, the news from Air New Zealand is. There's a huge obsession over the customer experience, and clearly, um, they want to provide this level of service where someone turning up to the airport is uh, not greeted by layers of bureaucracy and form ticking and all that stuff that we we all love to do when we <laughs> head overseas. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's very promising to see that you know at, that mm. we've got people thinking about that kind of experiences and and really leading the charge there. But you know, on ter- in terms of the broader question around uh, privacy uh, and security, well, you know, uh, we don't we can't take it lightly. Uh, the government's role into regulating uh, how we use our data, uh, I think that's very important. And you know, I, I'm I'm pretty hopeful that, you know, that in New Zealand that that you know someone picks up something around privacy you know, regulation 
uh, because I think that's something that we're missing here in New Zealand. Uh, when you're looking at Australia, uh, you know, because of recent events, you're seeing a huge uh, regulatory kind of pressure to bring something in. So, look, uh, and this is why our company exists. We yeah. love balancing the customer experience, making it super seamless for people to do what they need to do, um, and also balance the fact that privacy and security needs to, to be there 24 by 7. Yeah. Yeah, and look, we've already seen you know governments in numerous countries, and, and including the US, kind of get caught out on on you know privacy matters. I remember, uh, you know, they had these uh, cameras at the at the US borders that were you know, taking uh, imagery of license plates and whatnot, and then that was sort of being referred back to a database, mm. and then you know it turned out that oh there was a you know third party government contractor involved in that whole thing wasn't you know it wasn't all in-house fully sort of secured and um, yeah that the data ended up getting getting compromised right mm. so uh, it's really important that this stuff is 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 done well and done right and yeah I'm not sure that we fully as society have our head around what's what's appropriate in terms of biometrics and how we keep that safe and secure. And where are the right places to uh, to to use it? Um, I noticed yesterday on the way into uh, into work some new cameras along my uh, my commute uh, journey uh, that I don't remember having having seen uh, before. They were quite close to each other. Um, what made it sort of jump out of my mind is I was talking to somebody that that um, uh, commutes down. Onewell Road and Birkenhead and Auckland's North Shore, and they said that, and I don't know what the exact number of cameras on there. I might have to look that up, but it was. It sounded like it was in the sort of um, one to two hundred range of cameras down this particular stretch of road, uh, basically there to uh, discourage people from jumping in the transit and bus lane. Uh, unless they actually had enough people in their vehicle, right? So using camera AI to kind of figure figure that stuff out. Um, but you know, of of course, how else does this get used? How do you you know how do you make sure that that data is um, you know is looked after appropriately? And what other dots do you sort of join up and then end up with a kind of map of where people are are tripping around? And if you're doing that. What's the you know what's the societal benefit versus sort of the risks of, mm. of of getting it wrong and you know having a map of 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 what you know what people do yeah. uh, and we have to really balance these things right yeah it's a mix I think a mix of technology and regulation and frameworks to help us navigate that you know I think one thing that I'm really uh, excited about is you know our sovereignty of our data and being able to choose who and how we share our data. I think you're going to see more of that uh, throughout the next few years um, where, where us as individuals, we decide who should get when and where. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the the 200, which I think was the number that was shared with me, I'm not, not seeing that in my initial look, um, but certainly Herald information uh, around actually vandals smashing up uh, some of the cameras is from a few months ago, uh, and they talked about 68 new uh, cameras on there. 
so that's that's the new one. So uh, if there were other ones that were there, uh, in a, yeah, in in addition to that, then uh, yeah, you you yeah definitely create um, yeah. Uh, something that will that will have people sort of feeling feeling un, uneasy, um, and the reason that these ones were so I said the sixty eight cameras were placed in seventeen transit zone nine towards the city eight towards Birkenhead, uh, which can be used by cars with three or more you know people between you know relevant hours and so on, and uh, yeah residents took to Facebook to vent their frustration at the cameras. And people saying, look, we're not surprised that um, vandals have taken them. Now, in that case, though, I guess they're at a height to be able to see you inside your vehicle. Mm. So we're used to ones that are really, you know, high up just to maybe pick a number plate. But uh, I guess these ones are down a lot lower, so actually easier to easier to vandalise. Yeah, it'll be interesting to tap into what's the underlying rage that's causing <laughs> these vandals are probably the fact that, you know, probably a... Very good revenue generation scheme for whoever's collecting the ticket there. Right, right. Yeah, so somewhat, some it's cost someone a lot of money, so they're uh, yeah. that's their that's their way of yeah, uh, of pushing back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, could be. I mean, I don't think most of us are going to go out there and be smashing up cameras, but yeah, there's that's always going to be a, a probably a response from some people until such time as there are there are enough cameras around and enough tracking that they can work out. Who it is that's smashing them up, and then uh, maybe uh, that that activity stops. But anyway, let's not go there. That's uh, it's getting uh, getting further further down the the rabbit hole uh, of these uh, these sorts of things. Uh, now, moving on, we've seen uh, news about U.S. U.S. banks, including the New York uh, Fed, starting a twelve week U.S. digital dollar pilot. Now. I find I find this interesting because we're we're starting to hear more and more noise around this idea of central bank digital currencies, which is I guess exactly what this this fits into, which you could um, compare them to sort of cryptocurrency and and Bitcoin in a in a way you know purely a digital currency with no no dollar notes and 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 so on nothing. Uh, nothing physical, and it seems like there is, yeah, there is a lot of change afoot. Of course, uh, you know, China have led the way in this uh, direction to a degree, but yeah, when I saw uh, Reuters uh, reporting on this, uh, that was pretty interesting. Mastercard, HSBC, Citigroup, Wells Fargo, uh, amongst those that are uh, that are part of this uh, this pilot. So, yeah, I think it's a it's it's an area. Um, you know, with with keeping a little bit of uh, tabs on and and just uh, you know, it, it's uh, you know it's important for us to understand what's changing. You know, where's technology taking us, and uh, you know how do we you know take advantage of these things, or you know whether whether that's uh, you know at a national level or or you know I guess um, you know all of these things creates you know new opportunities. Uh, you know, but. You know, potentially there are flip sides to the coin as well, so it's important to, to um, you know, keep current. Yeah, no, for sure. And it, there's two worlds colliding at the moment. People who are uh, from our current world of centralized institutions versus the ones who are on the extreme or the the purists from the crypto 
side of the, the world where, where they believe in decentralization. So the fact that you've got central <laughs> bank digital currency in your acronym, I guess, gives a little bit of a clue that maybe um, the, the potential upsides to this is uh, not, not as pronounced as maybe you'd like to, to see from a decentralized purist point of view. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, for those that are sort of interested in you know, a little bit more in, the, in these uh, these sort of matters, um, we have another show called the New Zealand Everyday Investor, and uh, and I noticed that Darcy has sort of been delving into some of these uh, these topics. He's, he's certainly covered crypto for a long time, um, and um, uh, CBDCs, as uh, you know, as as it's um, uh, shortened to, uh, seems to be one of the you know one of the one of the um, current topics that uh, that he's been covering. So, if you're kind of interested in finding out a little bit more, uh, then yeah, that's uh, mm. that's a good place to go. Um, Darcy Angaro, NZ Everyday Investor. Um, of course, he does pop up here on NZ Tech Podcast from time to time as well. Um, now, Apple have have now gone live with the satellite satellite based um, SOS tool for the iPhone. So if you happen to, which won't be a, a huge percentage of our listeners, um, but if you happen to be in the in the US, uh, Canada, then with an Apple iPhone 14, you can get a level of coverage when you're nowhere near a traditional cell network. Um, this sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? Uh, I, I think it's uh, – where was it when I was uh, tramping and lost my way yeah. about 10 years ago out in the back blocks? Uh, it is a game-changing feature, especially if you're a, a big outdoors fan. Uh, yeah, I wish they extended it out to New Zealand. Uh, definitely shift me away from Android just for that feature. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, you've got that on one side. So you've got Apple doing that. On, on the other side in, in the US, at, you know, at least – um, we've heard, and who knows when you know when it when it's coming, and 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 whether the timing of the announcement was, um, you know, was in fact um, you know aimed squarely as a sort of you know compete against what what Apple are up to. Um, but we heard about uh, SpaceX and Starlink uh, adding a a capability to basically you know have cell sites that that sit uh, on their Starlink satellites in the future. In theory, with this service being available from 2023 uh, for those on the T-Mobile network in in the US, so of course, if they can deliver that and it, and it works with T, you know, for T-Mobile customers in the US, they could probably do it anywhere in the world, right? Yeah. Um, because you know, Starlink's pretty pretty much going global. Certainly, the bill the billboards uh, around the place for it, are, are, you know, highlighting that it's a, a global service. I don't think that. They're necessarily offering it everywhere uh, at the moment, but yeah, most of the most of the planet. So um, yeah, things are really sort of heating up, I think. And uh, the, yeah, there's 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 a real um, I guess peace of mind aspect to it. Where, you know, when you're traveling in, in certain places, to know that that connectivity will be um, you know will be there in the in the future. Um, obviously, much better you know in general to have access to full you know. Full full coverage and yeah. and and so on, um, but from that safety perspective, knowing that broader coverage is available and without having to carry around some crazy 
chunky satellite phone that costs a fortune to buy and to operate, which yeah, virtually nobody, you know, uh, would would carry. I think it's a pretty small percentage of the population that uh, that pays for that sort of equipment today. If we can, you know, flip that over to general general populace having that uh, that level of connectivity, it's uh, it's quite exciting. It will kill um, Tom Hanks. Castaway, the plotline <laughs> completely, wouldn't it? You know, instead of screaming Wilson in the middle of nowhere, he'll be Tom Hanks will be picking up picking up his phone and calling for help. So yeah, yeah how times have changed. Yeah, 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 yeah. It'll have to be a yeah. I guess the the modern phones to cater to that perfectly are going to have to have a um, uh, an, an element there of uh, of solar so that you're you know you're fully fully covered yeah. right. To, to, uh, to to power them, but uh, yeah, these things are, are real. They're moving moving ahead um, now. Google uh, Google have been uh, have been fined and 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 the US have agreed to pay a uh, record breaking fine. There equates to around six hundred million um, or so New Zealand dollars for um, secretly tracking uh, user location. Mm. Uh, thought, yeah, this is this is at a at a state level. So, uh, forty US states that they've uh, that they've settled with over these uh, these violations. Um, but to me, this this is an indicator of how important it is that we get the these privacy things right. That the um, you know underlying legislation is appropriate. So. You know, is Google getting fined in New Zealand? Have they done this? You know, they tend to do very similar things in most parts. You know, most places is not necessarily a huge variance from what they do in one US state to another, or what they do from one country to another. So, if they have this, you know, this fine to pay, if they were paying that in every different sort of legal jurisdiction jurisdiction around the world, I mean, you could imagine this could stack up to a you know, ten billion dollar fine or something. Not that that would, um, you know, destroy them or anything, but uh, uh, you know, you'd get a you'd get a fairly clear uh, message through. Whereas, yeah, at at their size, um, you know, they'll they'll forget about it in uh, in time. You would think so. There, yeah, there 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 is to me a a, a need for us to you know keep working. On these things, and and not just for private organisations, but that we do get that um, we do get that balance, and um, and you know we keep pushing forward in terms of legislation, what's appropriate from a government perspective and from a you know, private uh, enterprise perspective, um, yeah, particularly when we where we look to sort of states like um, uh, China, where you know they've gone down a different track than I think you know probably. The large majority of Kiwis wouldn't wouldn't be super excited about. Mm. Yeah, we're a bit behind, I think, and um, yeah, let's see. Uh, it's the will of the politicians now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I I saw also uh, news out of Australia uh, that they are going to stand up and punch back against cyber criminals, uh, and I I you know. I, I love hearing uh, you know hearing that because you know mostly uh, we're victims to you know to to cybercrime in, in, in one form or another 
Um, and so this is something that's come out of the Australian government. Um, you know, yes, the, you know, the, it's, 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 you know, it's coming from politicians, but look, they're, they're spending the money. Um, a hundred strong, uh, you know, team of, um, you know, cybersecurity folks who are focused in, in a, um, a little bit more of an offensive manner, you could say, towards the um, cyber criminals, so to try and uh, try and bring down some of these ransomware gangs and so on. Uh, and there probably hasn't been enough investment on that front. And so by by you know weighing it up and looking at at, at what cyber crime actually costs uh, a country, and then investing to try and disrupt that uh, seems seems pretty good. In fact, it's got me wondering: should New, you know should this be part of what New Zealand are doing? Or do we kind of treat it like like we do with our military, and you know we we have a little bit of a sort of token uh, investment, and in, you know, in, in, in some areas are more of those sort of peacekeeping type duties and so on. And um, we hope the you know the 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 bigger countries around us, um, or that we're aligned with, will uh, you know will help keep us safe. And I think that's where it falls down a little bit. Um, you know, with the analogy of, of physical military presence. There's no Pacific Ocean in the internet. Uh, you're one hop away from someone's mobile phone. Um, so no, we gotta be treating this as if it was, uh, it's a national security importance. Uh, even you know, in Australia, they're figuring out how many people it's gonna take to combat cybersecurity. And they've realized in a, in a country as big as Australia, there's just not enough people. So when you scale that back down to New Zealand, if Australia can't resource up, uh, in, in cybersecurity, uh, we got to <laughs> figure out how we're going to either bring expertise from overseas or, or try and at least build up capability. Um, so, yeah, and I think we got to treat this a little bit differently than in typical military uh, um, thinking. Yeah, look, I, I mean, I think you're right. We, you know, we have to we have to make the appropriate stands and, and, and do things locally. Um, but, I, yeah, I can also see a perspective in terms of, and you could you could compare it to all sorts of things, climate change and and so on, right? As like you know, how much do we need to invest, and how much difference does it does it make? So, yeah, one side of the coin is well, you know, we've got to do our fair we've got to do our fair share. The other is, can we make a difference because we're so you know so small? Um, and I you know I can kind of see see both of those uh, both of those angles. Um, yeah, I mean, I I think we should be we should be doing our part and 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 participating would be where I'd be mm. I'd be leaning. Um, you know, in terms of actually bringing down these uh, these ransomware gangs and 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 the like. And uh, you know, I think we should be able to play a play a good part in that. We've got smart smart people here in New Zealand. Yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, we can't just sit on the sit on the sidelines and uh, and let ourselves be. Uh, be attacked. Um, now, uh, before we sort of jump into hearing the ins and outs on all signal, um, there's been a bit going on in the social media world. Uh, you know, as as we know, um, Meta constantly in the news, and and some some, yeah, I guess some some interesting pieces going going on there. Um, so the the latest announcement. Um, that has been has has come out of um, of Meta uh, is how they are working to uh, protect and safeguard teens on the on the um, 
uh, on the platforms of Instagram and um, and Facebook. And I thought what what really stood out to me was uh, a, a third party that sort of monitors these uh, these sorts of uh, these sorts of things and was highlighting uh, just how many issues that they have been seeing uh, on um, on Meta's platforms and I think specifically Facebook. Uh, Compared to um, others such as such as TikTok, and so um, you know they talked about sort of hundreds of thousands of um, uh, reports of of issues with say TikTok, but Facebook was twenty two million. So tracking some very interesting differences. Now, I don't know how you align those things and whether you actually can or not, but it did seem to sort of point to there being some. Yeah, some some major issues in terms of how, you know, how much sort of dodgy and inappropriate you know activity might go on. You know, a particular focus seemed to be around sex exploitation type uh, type issues and how youngsters maybe get uh, pulled into sort of sharing nude images and so on uh, through these platforms, and then folks coming back and and trying to exploit them. Yeah, no, there's a duty of care for sure, and especially when you're making good revenues off your platform to reinvest into the trust and safety of it. So uh, it's good to, good to see that that money, you know, I mean, there's not a lot of good news out of Meta recently, but I think that's you know, some positive things around, you know, trust and safety. Yeah, and look, I, th- I think it's, you know, it's, really, it's really complex and we can't put it all on the platforms either. So, you know, there's a level to which, you know, we expect software and, and technology to, to help out, but these are important matters from a, an education perspective, right? With yeah. youngsters, that that they're being taught wise things within within the family environment, within schools, and yeah, just expecting Facebook to kind of protect us and pick up the pieces and, and so on. It's uh, you know I don't think it's entirely realistic. And of course, if Facebook isn't the place where these things go on, then people have got all sorts of other mechanisms, right? Mm. So. It doesn't necessarily stop it. It potentially, you know, moves it from one place to another. It might stop some, but not entirely. So there's there's certainly work to do there. And then, uh, of course, Twitter. Twitter's been um, just a lot of madness continuing there. It was a bit of a shock to me to see Donald Trump reinstated onto uh, onto Twitter. You know, we'd heard from from Musk that. There was going to be a group established who who would be deciding who was coming back onto the platform and 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 so on. And this independent group was going to have a you know a great mix of individuals who were going to figure this stuff out. Uh, next minute, he's throwing up a little poll on uh, on Twitter, and uh, and Donald Trump's account's been reinstated. And and then you saw a sort of flow on uh, Phil Schiller, CNBC, and and so on bailing off Twitter, although then I see CNBC's already kind of uh, come back. And uh, it all left me with the question, is Elon Musk uh, just playing us? Because all of this stuff, it's all through the media, you know, all the time at the moment. And what is it doing? It's mostly actually seems to be driving up engagement on Twitter and driving followers for, for Musk uh, I, I saw um, saw the numbers of, of followers for 
Trump, I think when he first was on the platform, had a, I saw some numbers saying he started with about you know two million, and when I looked today, it's about eighty-five million. Now that seemed to have seemed to have stopped. So maybe they were going through some sort of process to kind of recover his old followers or something that didn't happen initially. Restore some old backups. Who knows? Um, but uh, yeah, it's just it just seems to be publicity in every, in, the, in every direction, good or bad. And you know what do they say? Uh, no, all publicity is good publicity. And uh, you th- you think Musk is is kind of playing us all with all these crazy antics and and what look like just you know bizarre moves or uh, yeah yeah love him or hate him he's clearly doing something right. I mean uh, he walked into to Twitter's offices with a kitchen sink. I mean, if that's not entertaining, I don't know what is. Um, but yeah, look, uh, I think it's interesting, great discourse, great for humanity to be having this sort of discussion. Um, you know, Twitter is is a public town square equivalent in the digital age and um, the motivations of, of, you know, people threatening to leave I mean, we need to, to really figure out, is it because uh, there's a fundamental issue of the platform or because you disagree with someone else's point of view? I think, um, yeah, it's very interesting times we live in and we're seeing it all play out in front of our eyes on Twitter, which, uh, I mean, for me, I, it's definitely got me glued. Uh, I do check it every morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, we'll, uh, we'll keep watching and, uh, and and probably keep talking about it. Um now, time to time to delve in a, a little bit onto um, onto onto Auth Signal. Um, you know, tell us, you know, what's the um, the the position of Auth Signal now in terms of your offering yep. uh, to the market, in terms of your, you know your product, and how are you going to help Kiwis and and other organisations, I guess, with your tools and your software? Yeah, how does it, how does it help? Yeah, thanks, Paul. I've spent the last 10 years building fintech platforms for customers. And the whole aim of of fintech and all these apps that you now download on your phone is to just make it really easy to deal with your money. You know, in the last 10 years, I've dealt with making it easier for people to get finance or uh, manage the cash flow through buy now, pay later schemes, for example. But there's a lot of emphasis on digital adoption. But where we're starting to see a lot of pain when it comes to delivering digital services is how do you keep people safe and how do you keep people's data and money safe? You tend to find that sometimes it's a little bit of a chore to manage risk because you're so focused on all the cool stuff, you know, delivering cool apps to people. But the flip side is you, there is a duty of care to protect people's money. Sometimes it's regulated, sometimes it's not. And you need to invest in that if you're delivering a digital service. So taking that 10 years of building products, what I found was managing risk in these platforms and building teams around that were already short of developers and engineers. It's actually quite difficult. And there was very few kind of options around where I could find a piece of software, put it into my system, and rest a little bit easier, knowing that my customers have the ability to protect their account. So what we offer is, um, you know, what is commonly known as multi-factor authentication services. But, you know, we've, we're going into the world of passwordless. Yep. Not, not needing to ever remember your password. And in the next year or two, you're going to hear more of that 
especially if you have an Apple or Android phone using pass keys. So we're the technology that enables your bank or your financial platform app that, that you've downloaded or you love using to leverage these passwordless technologies. And more importantly, we've got a risk engine that allows these businesses to go, hey, look, we've seen you before. You know, let's not throw more steps for you to complete your transaction. We've seen you before and you know what? You've done, you've done the SMS code thing an hour ago. Stop sending the SMSs. Let just yeah. let let you get your money out and transact and carry on, and and that's where we that's where we cater the market is for people who are just obsessed over customer obsession. We've got crypto platforms using us, accounting platforms that give you know people access to the accounting data, um, and investment platforms using us. So hey, look for a for a, uh, you know a company of our size. It's great to get that validation very early on, and we're working with you know, major New Zealand brand at the moment to, to solve some of these problems at scale, uh, which is great. I get the, the challenge. Um, and I mean, we had um, Dosh in here, yeah. um, you know, a couple of weeks ago. They're a fintech startup. I imagine they're going through exactly this challenge and I'm picking they're not a customer of yours uh, at this point in time. I, I can I can't I can't <laughs> confirm or deny, but anyway, yeah. what 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 happened to me was I signed up for their platform. I put some money in. Um, it's all working, you know. It was all that looks good. I jumped to another phone, um, and yeah, I mean, who know who knows exactly what the trigger was? But I went to another phone. Um, I went to sign into the app, and somewhere in that process. Uh, Whatever the the signals were that they were picking up, decided, hey, this is you know we can't let Paul in, and and this is where the user experience piece sort of you know didn't work in 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 in, in my case, and it might have been look it could have been really legitimate, um, but basically it was like I I now need to get hold of them because mm. my account is entirely locked at this point in time, right? And, exactly. And so these are the sort of the user experience things where what you want is that seamless experience that, you know, kicks people to the curb when they're when they're hackers and, and dodgy, but when it's when it's a legitimate, you know, customer that it all, you know, molds and, and shapes together a, a, around you and gives you a, a lovely experience. But uh, yeah, and I know that there's an email sitting there from them saying, "Look, we saw this thing on your account. You need to get in touch, and it'll and it'll all be good." Um, I've just got busy since that happened, you know, mm. probably a week ago, and and it hasn't happened. So it's not good for you know, it's not good for their success. It's not good for my you know my use of the the platform. So um, yeah, I totally get why we need you know why we need this, this, glad, this stuff. I'm glad yeah. you do. And because we can empathize with this, right? We've mm. all been overseas, used our card somewhere else, and then you get blocked and it's midnight here in New Zealand and you're on the other side of the world trying to get to a Lion King musical. That was my problem. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I just couldn't get into a black cab because I couldn't pay for it. And it's these things that we've inherited from um, the old school financial system. And we're trying to build these apps that um, are live 24 by 7. So you're right. You know, good customers should just be let through without any dramas. And that's where the balance is. And, the, and the, the, what's tricky is determining the experience for a potential good customer, a, a bad user 
versus a good, a good customer. Yeah, so that, and that's part of the challenge, right? You know, somebody could be you know could be using your your tools and 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 still not get the perfect experience, but you're giving them the tools that are going to make it much quicker and easier for them to deliver that you know an an experience that you know hopefully rides that line yeah um, correctly. And it was interesting looking at your website with you know some of the little bits and you know rules and and risk scores and different bits and pieces and it it makes it look very easy I haven't had a look in behind the scenes but you know look I think we we're, we're, we're developing uh, you know the these platforms um, usually there's a need to move very very quickly and actually developing this stuff takes a long time so uh, exactly know, knowing that you've got a team there sort of you know building that doing it well um, that I can I can see being uh, you know being something that plays out plays out very well. So what do you what do you see that sort of startup journey looking like for you over the you know next few years ahead? Because yeah. it's been you know just sort of earlier this year that you 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 raised um, you know some some funding. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, that experience and when you'd expect to need to need to need to get more? Look, we're very fortunate to have a lot of tailwinds in our industry. Um, that you know you don't have to look too far. Uh, you open your computer up and on a Monday morning and you're seeing the, the latest breach. So, look, I think um, keep your eyes peeled on us. Uh, know who we are. Uh, if you are a digital platform, uh, thinking you know wanting to sleep easier tonight, get in touch with us because we're we're going to be powering a lot of experiences here in New Zealand and abroad. Uh, we've got users signing up from America, Australia, New Zealand, APAC. So uh, it's exciting times for us. Um, and, you know, for me, I'm passionate about uh, keeping users safe and stopping the bad ones. So it's great to be doing it here from New Zealand, and we hope to be a bit of a, a standard bearer to see more of these companies come up. Uh, we, you know, we tend to, to have a few trailblazers. You've got your Rocket Labs and Zeros, and, you know, we hope to, to uh, set a, a bit of a, a, bit of a, tra- a blaze a bit of a trail as well for these sort of a- what we call API businesses and B2B businesses. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's it's kind of good for everyone involved, right? Um, you know, having access to to tools like like yours, um, you know, because new platforms can you know can be developed quicker, um, but they work better for they work better for everyone. So yeah, and I think you know every software developer, you know, leverages all sorts of other you know components. It's a matter of kind of knowing what you should be drawing from and what you should be developing, you know, yourself. It's a little bit like the that age-old thing of do we develop some software or do we use something off the shelf? Well, now software development's in exactly that same, yeah. you know, you're in that same boat around every little bit within your software. Do we develop this or do we we go to someone that specialises in that piece? And when it comes to uh, when it comes to security, you know, mm. I definitely lean in the direction of use the best components from from the best companies. Mm. Uh, and we have access to some very very good tools out there for different aspects of security and, and, and all manner of other things when it comes to, uh, you know, developing software. And we don't have to look too far in terms of business, you know, within New Zealand itself. You know, I won't name this bank, but I bank with them. Um, their security protocol when you log in is asking what my favourite sports team is. Uh, <laughs> I've just told you that I woke up at 6.30 to watch this particular team. So <laughs> that's enough. Uh, and, and when you're a New Zealand bank, it's not too far to guess that. Uh, so, look, we... I'm here to be a be a year to anyone that wants to just lean on some experience and happy to help. Mm. 
Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, it's been uh, it's been great to have you have you on the show, Justin. Uh, thanks for your time. Um, also, a big thanks to our show partners, to uh, to Vodafone, uh, Two Degrees, Spark, HP, Gorilla Technology, and Deal. Uh, and of course, you know they're they're getting in behind and supporting you know not just the New Zealand Tech Podcast, but the broader tech and innovation ecosystems um, locally. And it's great to have such a robust sort of ecosystem here in New Zealand and great to see uh, you know more and more success within the within the tech world I was speaking in Christchurch on Friday at an event about this this viewpoint that I often share uh, how I believe that uh, you know we should all be futurists we should all be wearing this futurist hat and sort of looking further out and looking at how we can take advantage of um, of technology and this reality that our tech sector is growing at, a, at an incredible pace and, you know, the predictions are tech will become the number one export earner for New Zealand. But on the flip side, we have our non-tech firms that aren't maybe doing as well from a tech front as they could be. And so, uh, you know, that's another another area, I guess, where, where your, you know, your software fits in. So really good, really encouraging. Um, thanks everyone for listening in. Uh, thanks to again to our to our show partners, and uh, Justin, if they want to get get in touch, with, with, what's the best way to do that? Are you on LinkedIn or yeah, just find me on LinkedIn or go to our website yep. or signal.com. Um, we've got a, a team just ready and available to help. So yeah, just get in touch. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. All right, thanks everyone. We'll catch you on the next episode. The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.